Hello and welcome back to another episode. Today is going to be our first part of a mini series that we're doing on estate planning. And we brought on attorney Andrew Ayers, who you have heard on this podcast before. And, and we thought this would be a great opportunity to go through just a mini series to help business owners understand what is estate planning and what are some of the important things uh, around it. So today's topic is going to be what is a last will and testament and why is it important for business owners. So Andrew, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Mike. Glad to be back. Awesome. So I'm just going to kind of let you take it from here and, and we'll dive in, but let's start with kind of that last will and testament idea. Sure. And, you know, before we get into it, um, you know, a lot of people will ask me, what is estate planning? Um, and really it's just a fancy term for your last will and testament and the other documents that go with it. Um, a lot of people know what a will is, but when we get into some of the other topics and the other documents that we'll talk about, um, we really want to consider it as like a whole plan. Um, so for your business, you probably have a business plan, you probably have agreements, and hopefully you have a succession plan. And an estate plan is essentially that succession plan for your private life. It's what will happen if you get sick or what happens when you die and what's the plan for your assets. And the central document in any estate plan, the one that you see in the movies that everyone deals with, is your last will and testament. And the first question that I always get is, do I need a will? Uh, my answer is yes. Um, but if you choose not to have one, that is also considered an estate plan. So if you don't have a will, what that means is that you're going to let the state where you die decide what happens to your things. So if you don't have a will, your family is going to have to go to court to sort out your affairs, your assets and your liabilities after you've died. If you own assets, the court may actually have to approve any sales or any transfers before they can be done. The court's job is also going to be to appoint a personal representative called an executor in some states. And this is one of those issues where it's important to have a will because it might be somebody that you wouldn't have chosen. It might be your brother who you fell out with years ago. It might be, it might end up being a cousin. If you, they can't find any other relatives and the closest relative a court can find is your cousin, it can be your ne'er-do-well cousin from South Carolina that you haven't spoken to in 30 years. And suddenly they're the person who's in charge of divvying up your state and making sure it gets to the right people. If you have children, I, I can't stress this enough. This is the importance of having an estate plan. If you have children and you die without a will, you have no say in where your children will live if they're under the age of 18. And if you're a parent with young children, if that doesn't scare you into having a will, I don't know what will. So without a will, the court's going to have to figure out where should your children go. So you also have to look at who would actually inherit. So what happens if you don't have a will is there's usually a family tree that's written into your local state's law. And this court was going to fill out that family tree and figure out who's alive and who's going to inherit. And that cousin who you don't like, who you haven't spoken to in 30 years in South Carolina, they may be your closest kin that's left, and they're going to be the one who inherits your estate. Now, I all think, of this, uh, you, one of the biggest cases of not having a will, it has probably been most recent, and you being in Minnesota comes to, to a clear picture is uh, the prince, prince when he died, there was no will there, and and. Anyone that's following that has known that that has been kind of a bit of a disaster. And you know what? It's funny because the news is always kind of two camps. It's always the celebrity who dies without a will and you end up like Prince six years later. They finally agreed what the value of the estate is. 
And now they're going to start figuring out who gets what out of it. And then the flip side is you have people like David Bowie, who had an amazing estate plan put together. They know exactly where the money's going. His wife is taken care of. His children are taken care of. The people who do that estate planning, especially on the celebrity side, are the ones that don't always end up in the news. But when they do, you find out they have an amazing plan. Doris Day, for example, out in California, she had an amazing estate plan that made sure that all those charitable causes that she worked with during her life, they're all inheriting money from a very sizable estate so they can continue to do what they love to do, take care of animals, take care of people who need it out there. So for every print story, there's probably 10 celebrities who've taken that time to create a good estate plan to make sure their legacy is going to be protected. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to be a celebrity to have an estate plan. You just simply need to put together a will. And the main reason why is you can take all of these uncertainties under law, all those cousins you don't want to deal with, you can take them out of the process because the simple will will say, here's what's going to happen to my stuff after I'm gone. And what happens is you appoint a representative or an executor. All they have to do is take your will and your death certificate to the local probate court. The court says, thanks a lot. Here's a certificate saying you're the executor. Now go divide up the assets like the will says. And usually about six months later, they want that person to check back in and let them know what happened to the estate. Then they close it and they're done. Now, the court they're dealing with is called the probate court. And this is the big bad person in the room. When you're dealing with estate planning, if you listen to any other podcast, all the financial advisors will tell you, you need to avoid probate court. Now, the way that they usually tell you to do it is to create a trust. That's the default way to get around having to deal with probate court. But even as a business owner, I'm going to tell you not everybody needs a trust. It's a great idea in principle, but it may not be what's right for you. The person who loves the trust is your attorney because we get paid a lot more money when we put together complex estate planning documents. And a trust is one of those documents. The reason we would use that trust is because probate filings are public. So when you die, the fact that you're you're deceased is a public record. And if you've had a family member die, you know this because all of those credit card companies and anybody else that that family member owed money to, what they do is they consistently check probate filings. And when they find out somebody has died who owes them money, you're going to start seeing those letters in the mail. So using a trust is one way to get around that because your assets are not going to be public in that filing. But I can't tell you on a podcast, Mike can't tell you either. We, we can't tell you if you need a trust. What you need to do is speak to a professional, speak to an attorney, speak to your financial advisor. Your accountant probably also has a good idea of what your assets are like, and they can give you a better idea about whether or not a trust is really going to be right for you. So Mike, do you ever have to have that discussion with clients? Yeah, absolutely. And and would you say, is there any specific, you know, a, a blanket statement is definitely something we don't want to make, but, you know, is there a certain area where traditionally someone comes in, they answer a question and they say, yes, I got $3 million in assets spread across four different asset classes. Um, is, is that kind of just a, a flag? Of, yep, that's probably a trust account or someone that comes in and says, you know, I'm just starting my business, nothing really developed yet, no really assets, um, but I got children and things like that. Maybe we're kind of sidestepping and, and, and focusing on something else. Yeah. And, you know, you're right. There's no blanket statement. And I know you and I are going to talk in future episodes a little more in depth about the trust and what we're looking for. Um, so it really depends on each person because you can have someone come in with, let's say, $5 million. But if they're in accounts that have beneficiary designations, they wouldn't be subject to your will anyway. 
and they get transferred directly to those beneficiaries. So while they may look at the $5 million from the estate planning side, we may only be looking at like $150,000 in the bank account. And even your real estate may have a transfer on death uh, title to it. So that's not even going to be part of your estate. So you know, really, it's going to be we have to look at the nature of those assets. So just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean, mean you need a trust. And just because you don't have a lot of money doesn't mean you don't need a trust. Um, we really want to get into kind of what your goals are and, you know, what you're trying to protect. Um, and it, it, what this comes down to is, you know, in many states, the probate court's going to be involved anyway. Um, everyone tells you to do a trust to get around a probate court. But even with a trust, your death certificate still has to be filed with the right authorities. And usually with a trust, you're going to have a will, even a simple two or three page will that just says my assets go into my trust. That still has to be filed with the court as well. So even if everything's in your trust, there's still a couple filings with the court. I think a lot of people have this notion that the probate court has to be avoided at all costs. But with the right documents in place, what we're really trying to do is limit the headaches that any family member would have to deal with with the trust. And just about probate, you know, and we're probably going to be talking about this a little bit, but when it comes to probate court, kind of what what happens at probate court? Is it, you know, when, when someone talks about this big, bad probate court and trying to avoid it, what really is going on in that? Well, and th- that question is you know, answered one of two ways, if you have a will or if you don't have a will. If you have a will, the process is really your personal representative or your executor takes the will and your death certificate to the court and says, unfortunately, Mike has passed away. Here's his death certificate. Here's his will. And then the court will go through the process. Usually it's just pushing paperwork to determine what, the as- what assets Mike had when he died and getting those distributed. Now, if you don't have a will, that's the big, bad process we're trying to stay around, stay away from. Because first of all, we have to determine if you have a will. Now we've determined you don't have a will. We have to find all of your living relatives. Hmm. We've got to take that family tree, submit it to the court. Then the court has to look at that family tree and decide who's going to be the executor, who's going to be that representative of the state. Then that representative has to go and find all of your assets and all of your liabilities. And then they have to figure out how to wind everything up. And every time they're doing a transaction, if it's $100 in a bank account, it's probably not a big deal. But if you owned a house, they have to go back and make a formal application and possibly go in front of a judge to ask for a court order to say, I'm the executor. I need to be able to sell the house to this person. The court has to sign off on them being able to enter into contracts. That's the idea that people are trying to get around. And that's, again, why it's important to have a will, because the will lets you take all that out of it. And just have a straightforward process of submitting documents, transferring assets, and then closing the estate. Yeah, it makes complete sense. And I, I think that, you know, anyone that's gone through a death of someone close to them, you can imagine the uh, there's a lot of emotions at that time. There's a lot of things you're going through. And the last thing that you want to do is is having to deal with all these court appearances and, and taking all these documents and gathering all these things. And I'd say at the same point, so think of that as for some of the loved ones, you know, how you can you know, make that process easier for you and your family. Uh, but also think of it as yourself. Um, is that really what you want some of your loved ones to be doing after, after you've passed away? Uh, we, we never know when that day is going to come. And, uh, and I think it, it's something that uh, it just makes that process and, and the healing from, from a death uh, so much easier for the people around you. Yeah. And from my practice standpoint, that is probably the biggest motivator for people coming into my office is a family member died They didn't have a will. They had to go through this whole court process. And they said to themselves, 
I never want my family to have to go through what I just had to go through just mm-hmm. to deal with a basic estate from my mother or my father or my brother, you know, whoever it is. If you've been through this with a family member without a will, you probably went straight to a lawyer's office as soon as you could to make sure your family is never going to have to deal with that. Yeah. So when we're looking at your estate and we're looking at your probate court, there's going to be two types of assets. And so this goes back to what we talked about before about you know how much money you have and whether you need a trust. And so there's probate assets, which are assets that the court would deal with. And then there's non-probate assets, which are assets that the court does not deal with. So probate assets are the things that are going to be covered by your will. And these are going to be the assets that are solely in your name at the time of your death. So if you're married and you and your wife own your house jointly and you die, your house is not a probate asset. However, when your wife dies, then it becomes a probate asset because she's the last person on the will. The last person on the title of the real estate. Now, the non-probate assets are the ones where you can really get into the estate planning and do some very smart moves. You work with your financial advisor. You talk to people like Mike. And these are accounts that can have beneficiary designations on them. So if you have an account like your 401k or a life insurance policy that can have a beneficiary designation, when you die, instead of having to go through the court process, that account gets transferred directly to the person. Um, so if you have your 401k and you can have a transfer directly to your wife and Mike can tell you about this, and this is where an accountant comes in, there's significant tax benefits to having a 401k go by uh, beneficiary directly to your wife versus it going into your estate, going through court and having to transfer it then to the wife after the fact. Yeah. And, and one thing, uh, to this point is, um, when we're talking about will or having a beneficiary, and I think a lot of things that happened is, you know, we set these things up at, at some age and, and, you know, let's say you're 30 years old, you set all this stuff up, you set your beneficiaries, you sent your will, or maybe you just don't do a will and you have your beneficiaries, which we're talking about why that might not be the greatest idea, but what kind of overcomes in the other? So let's say you have your beneficiaries set and then all of a sudden you die 50 years down the road, your family dynamics changed. You've had two more kids. You've had maybe two more wives in that situation, who knows? Your family's dynamics has changed since when you initially set that up. What kind of prevails of, of what will happen if there was no adjustments made to any of those items? Yeah, and this shows the importance of working with that financial advisor. The beneficiary designation is going to control. Um, now, if you set it up 50 years ago, you've had a couple wives, you have kids by each different wife, you need to have an estate plan. Because when you have blended families... Just letting the laws sort out who gets what can be a nightmare. And you could end up with half of your state going to stepchildren that you would never want a dime to go to. But you were married to their mother at the time, and now we have to sort everything out. So mm-hmm. this is that's another reason, especially with blended families, to come see a lawyer, is that the estate plan can make sure that your stepkids don't take money that you would have had given to your natural children. Um, and you know the beneficiaries are what controls, and that's why they're so important. Um, you know, people who use that as part of their estate plan, again, they may have $5 million in assets, but you bring down the estate so that there's no estate tax problems. Um, and we'll probably talk about the estate tax in a little bit. But that's really one of the things we're trying to avoid in all this is you don't want to have a $10 million life insurance policy with no beneficiary because then you've now created a $10 million estate and the government of wherever you are is going to stick their ears up and say, wait a second, you had how much money? Maybe we have to look at whether or not you owe some estate tax or not. 
So, I mean, we'll talk about that in a future episode, kind of talking about the way those estate taxes are and, and, and things to avoid them. But I, I think that this plays in uh, well into that and like and, and, and just the importance, too, of making sure you have this set up because a lot of people don't understand the rules behind that. And so I think that the, the, the problem is that they just think, well, everything's just going to be taken care of. You know, why set all these things up? Why worry about a tax at the end? Because things are just going to work out and things are just going to get taken care of. And, and I think you're right. You hear these stories of these horror stories that happen or you're someone that has gone through it yourself. And that's kind of that, that, that wake up call. Yeah. And that's why if you have a financial advisor, they're going to tell you every year, check your beneficiaries because they don't want to have that situation where you wait 50 years and you have your ex-wife from two wives ago receiving a $5 million life insurance policy because your current wife is going to be cursing you to the grave and for years after that watching your ex-spouse walk around with $5 million and she got nothing out of it. Right. So one of the questions I often get asked is what's actually in a will? What do we have to deal with? Um, And there's some common provisions that you're going to have to think about when you set up a will. Uh, The first is going to be who's going to be your personal representative or your executor. That's the person who's got to take your documents to the court, uh, let them know that they've been appointed, and they're the ones who have to do all the distributions. Another aspect of your will can be specific distributions. So if you have certain assets that you want to go to certain people, for example, you have a son who loves that cabin you have up north and you want to make sure they get the cabin as part of your will, that's what's called a specific distribution. If you have a certain charity that you want to make sure gets money from your estate, that can be a specific distribution. I leave $5,000 to the Red Cross. I leave $10,000 to the American Heart Association. For smaller property, and this is a state-by-state thing you can deal with, there's what's called a personal property memorandum. So this is a document that's not a piece of the will. It's a separate document where you can list out smaller items. My 57 Mustang goes to my son. Grandma's China goes to my daughter. Little item. The artwork in the front hall goes to my cousin because it came from their family years ago. And it's a separate document that doesn't have to be notarized, doesn't have to be witnessed, You can write it out yourself and you sign it and date it. And then if you ever want to update it, all you have to do is write a new one up, sign it and date it. And your will will say the most recent version is the one that controls. So if you no longer have that 57 Mustang, you can update it. And then the judge would look at the paperwork when they're signing off on it and say, well, we're going to use the one from 2022, not the one from 2016. Now, the big question you have to decide for yourself is how do you want your assets to be divided? And if you have three children, it does not have to be one-third, one-third, one-third. There can be a lot of reasons why you want to skew your estate more towards one child versus another. Um, And this is probably the most common question I get is, I've got three kids. How do I do this? And you can do unequal inheritances. You may have one child who's a stockbroker who's worth $10 and another one who's a teacher who can barely get by and has a lot of credit card debt. Although the stockbroker might be a little put out that your teacher, that his teacher sibling is getting less money, you can absolutely do what's called unequal inheritances. Another thing you want to think about is probably the worst case scenario. So you you and your wife and you have three children and you don't have any grandchildren yet. And let's say something happens where all of you are gone. You know, God forbid you're on a plane and the plane crashes. This is called a remote contingent beneficiary. And this is what happens if everybody else is gone and nobody can inherit. This provision is one that a lot of people who use like a legal Zoom will don't think about. And they leave that one blank. And just in case, this is a good place for you to put charities. 
So if you don't have a specific charity that you want to leave anything to, you can put it in the remote contingent beneficiary so that if your kids were gone and you're gone, your church can inherit, maybe the schools you went to can inherit, or there's other charities that could inherit. Because otherwise, what happens is if everyone else is gone, then the court has to jump back in, even though you have a will, and the court has to say, where does this money go at this point? Because everybody who has mentioned the will is gone, and now they have to determine, are there any other living relatives that you have? And they're not going to give it to the charity. So they're going to sort that. And if they can't find any relatives, guess who's going to get that money at the end? The state will find a way to get it. So it's a simple provision. It's really like one of those catch-alls left at the end to make sure that you your estate is not just going to someone random or being given to the state. The, the remote contingent beneficiaries I talked about is a great place for charitable donations. Um, you might want to give a small bit, like $5,000 upfront in a specific distribution, but then have on the back end, if everybody else is gone, then you can split up the estate and it'd be a much larger amount between, between these other charities. A newer issue that we're dealing with now is cryptocurrency and digital assets. So I've been practicing law for almost 20 years. And when I started, there was no cryptocurrency and we weren't worried about digital assets. But these days, if you have digital assets, if you have crypto, it's very important that you're keeping good records. Um, and when you work with my office, we give you a separate inventory for all of your crypto wallets to make sure that your executor would know how to access those. And if they're on certain hard drives, you need to make sure you leave proper instructions for how your executor would be able to access these. And I'm sure Mike can tell us about whether or not there's going to be tax issues with crypto transfers after you're gone. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and one thing that I had that kind of relates to that is, is there a, a document or something that you put into place in a will that just illustrates where to find everything you have? Uh, I, I think of myself and, you know, if, if we were to pass, um, you know, where do people know what assets we even have and where do they have the details of those assets? So is there a document that you would say like, do you recommend creating a spreadsheet or something and here's the password to it, sharing it with everybody? Or, or what? how does that typically work into that is, is, is really being able to find everything that, that you might have? Sure. And, you know, each person's different. Actually, um, one of the financial advisors I work with, he and I created, um, we call it the My Personal Planning Essentials Checklist. Um, and Mike will probably put it in the show notes. It's available on my website. It's a free download. You don't have to be my client to use it. Um, but what we do is we lay out what are the documents in your estate plan, who are the important people in your estate plan, your attorney, your accountant, your insurance agents, um, your doctors, your medical providers, where are your original documents located? And we do have a section for online passwords or master passwords to documents. Um, when you work with my office as well, at the end, we give you a zippered wallet that has all of your important documents in it, but you can add other documents in. So. If it's a cryptocurrency inventory, we absolutely want that to be held with your asset, with your um, important documents. Uh, a lot of people will do a list of assets. If you're working with a financial advisor, your financial advisor will normally have the list of assets they're managing for you, which is why it's important we have their information available to your executor or your personal representative. Um, and a lot of people will put just a flash drive in with their documents that has either a file or has the important information that somebody would need to access. Um, you know, I don't suggest you leave this out in the open with your master password so that anybody in your house could just start logging in and finding all your account information. But it is a good idea to have a plan laid out for how your executor can access your digital assets. Excellent. Yeah, I'll put that checklist in the show notes for everyone listening. Yeah. And beyond digital assets, another part of your will that's going to be important if you're a parent 
and it's called a testamentary trust. And we'll talk a little bit more about them when we do an episode on trusts. But what this kind of trust is, is a trust that's only established under your will. So it will. there's no trust right now, but when you die, the executor creates a will or creates a trust under your will. And the reason we do this is we do this for children who are under the age of 18. And what we do is we create a guardian for them because you know, until they're 18, they need somebody to be able to take care of them. And importantly, we create a trustee to manage their assets. Um, legally, your 10-year-old cannot inherit your $5 million life insurance policy. So what we do under your will is we have a trust created that can hold that life insurance policy and manage it for your child. And they don't have to get it at the age of 18. So one of the main reasons we do the trust is a lot of parents will come to me and say, I'm not sure I want my child to have $2 million when they turn 18. They might still be in high school. I mean, if they have an early birthday, you're going to have a high school senior with all of a sudden $2 million. And so we set up a testamentary trust and we set the age of distribution to an older age, maybe 22 after they're out of college or 25. And we set up the kinds of distributions they can have. They can have a distribution to help pay for college or a distribution to help them start a business or a distribution to help them buy a house. So the trust can be an effective way to make sure you don't just give an 18-year-old $2 million. And a lot of people, when I tell them the story, say, wow, that would never happen. Um, sadly, I did a trust for a client last year in exactly the situation. His father was suddenly killed in a boating accident. He inherited $5 million, and he was a freshman at the local university. And he was smart enough to realize that he doesn't need all that money in his name while he's going to college. You don't want to have a crazy night at the bar and pay up a $50,000 bar tab for everybody else. So what we did do was set up a trust for him. It's actually his money, but his mother is managing it as the trustee so that we have a check on his spending. So she can give the money for tuition. She can give the money if he needs a new car. There's lots of reasons. And he was 18, so he gets it all legally. But he said, wait a second, I want to make sure I'm keeping the safe. So he created a trust. So it does happen. And it's important that you have that provision in because I don't think it's a good idea in many cases to give an 18-year-old a couple million dollars. Makes sense. And another use we can do for the testamentary trust is one that people like to laugh at. But if you have pets, you love them. And we do pet trusts. Um, we all probably remember the stories of Leona Helmsley. She created a trust for her dog who lived in a mansion and had a great time. You don't have to go that far, but (laughs) you can, if you have, you know, I have a puppy, I have a young cat, you can create a pet trust that will provide for their support. And then when you you provide for a caregiver for their support, and then when that pet is gone, whatever's left in the pet trust can be distributed to somebody else. Um, I've had clients in the past who, um, I had one client who loved her, loves her cats. I mean, loves her cat. Not a crazy cat woman, but loves her cats. And she has two cats. And if she were to pass away tomorrow, those cats stay in her house until they're able to be transported to a special sanctuary in Texas. That's a special shelter for for pets uh, where the owners died. And so she makes a donation to them. The, the cats are thrown, flown down there and they will live out a very nice life. And that charity gets about $125,000 to do this. And if you have a horse, I don't remember that. The horse is like $2 million, I think. It's a crazy amount. Um, but we set up a pet trust so that those cats will have somewhere to go if something happened to her tomorrow. And, you know, she loves her cats. She doesn't have children. She doesn't have close family. So pet trusts are something that uh, you hear them in the news and people kind of laugh at them. You, you know, Again, Leona Helmsley's dog living in a big house. But if you, you have a beloved cat or dog and they're young, you may want to leave. You want to make sure they're going to the right person too. You know, again, you don't want 
your cat or dog just being sent to a shelter. You want to make sure they're going to go live with the right person and have a nice life. And then a final provision to think about in your will would be whether you want to be buried or cremated. You don't have to have this in your will, but a lot of people prefer to have it. I don't need full crazy funeral instructions. We don't have to have the band or anything, but you do want to have a provision if you choose between being buried and being cremated. It's a good idea to have that in the will, but you'll also have that in your healthcare documents as well. And so we look at that. Those are really the main issues you're going to want to deal with under your will. Um, but it's talked about these aren't blanket things. You may have individual personalized clauses we want to put in as well. Um, if you have a blended family, we want to make sure the right people are getting your money. And again, you don't want your stepdaughter uh, being the executor of your estate. Um, we want to make sure that we have the right people in the right roles. So once we've got everything in your will, one of the most important things you need to do is sign your will correctly. So we've got everything put together. We know what you want to do. We've drafted the will, and now you're ready to sign it. There's certain formalities that need to be followed in every state. And what you'll do is you'll work with your attorney to make sure you're following the right formalities. So you want to make sure it's signed in the right places, initialed in the right places. You need to have witnesses, and you need to have a notary public present. When you work with um, these online will places, the online will site to buy your will for $49. This is the biggest mistake that people will make is they will not correctly execute the document. And chances are it may be upheld by the court, but why would you want to take that chance? If you do it correctly, you don't have to worry about that. And when you have a signed document, I want to encourage you, and I can't say this enough because for some reason I've heard this on podcasts, do not put your will in a safe deposit box. If your will is in a safe deposit box and you die, you have undone the whole point of not having to go to court because the bank will not let anybody access that safe deposit box without a court order. Hmm. So you've done all this work, you've created a great state plan, but if it's in a safe deposit box, now your executor has to go to court and make a motion to get an order from the court to allow them to go to the bank and open the safe deposit box to then get the will to show them that it's in there. Even worse, if you don't have a will and your executor then tries to go do that and they get the court order to open the safe deposit box and find out there's no will, think of the craziness you've now left that poor person who thought that they were the executor under your will. They go through all that time and energy. They find out there's no will in the safe deposit box. And now the court's back at square one having to figure out who's going to be the executor. Hmm. So do not, do not put your will in a safe deposit box. We like to keep our state plan documents accessible. It's very important. We talked earlier about the My Personal Planning Essentials Checklist, and one of the provisions on there says, here's where the originals are kept, behind my red shoe box in the back of my closet, in the lockbox down in the basement in the heater room, wherever you want to keep them, but we want to know that they're accessible. Now, I can't speak for every attorney, but it's very important for me that I have a client portal for my clients. What that allows them to do is access online copies, PDF versions of their state plan documents. You don't necessarily need to show your will to everybody. However, there may be times when that PDF is very important. The PDF itself is not going to be a legally enforceable document, but I'll tell you when it does come into very important play. Let's say your house burns down and you and your family perish in that fire. And so everything went up in smoke, including your will. Somebody has to prove that you had a will and how do we do it? What we can then do is take that online PDF and you call 
me into court to testify and I say, this was Mike's will at the time he signed it. It's not the original. You can see it's stamped copy all over it. But judge, this is what Mike signed on January 1st of 2020. And this is a copy of his will. And so I'm there as a witness to tell the court what was in the will. And the court can then say, okay, we believe Mr. Ayers. He's an attorney. There's no reason he would lie about this. So we'll admit that PDF copy as your will so we can then distribute the assets. Without it, you're then back to the case where you don't have a will. You have people running around saying, I know Mike signed a will in 2020, but nobody can find it. And if you can't find the will, the court can't admit it and allow your executor to distribute your assets. Hmm. After you've signed your will, one other issue that we talk about, and especially if you've you know, had holidays with big families, is do you talk about what's in your will with your family? And this is going to be a personal decision. You don't need to tell your kids what they're getting. You don't need to tell your third cousin they've been disinherited, but their brothers and sisters are getting something. But your family should know where your documents are. And again, you can use the checklist that we offer to make sure that that's at least listed for them. But if you have children who are under age 18, you don't need to tell them how much is in the trust. But I do encourage you to talk to the people who are going to be their guardians and let them know. Give them a heads up that, hey, you know, I have this will there and you're going to be named the guardian of our children. Not that they wouldn't accept your children otherwise, but it's nice for them to at least have a heads up that in case that happens, I'm the guardian and I know I've got to be able to step in and start helping out with the children. And the last question I normally get is how often am I going to have to update my will? Um, my rule of thumb, and a lot of people work by this, is every three years, you sh at least every three years, you should just sit down with an attorney and review it. Um, if you have to make small changes, of course, the law has to give you silly words, so we go with what's called a codicil which is just a will amendment. That means we're changing something. Let's say you're a young couple and in the last year you had a new child. We do a codicil. We add the child to the will. No problem. We don't have to go through a full redrafting of your estate. But let's say your will's from 15 years ago and now you've got grandkids and we maybe want to do a trust for them or do something else. That's a time when the attorney can sit down with you and say, all right, let's do a new estate plan. Let's redraft these documents. When you have these major life events, if you get divorced, if you have children, you have grandchildren, these are Good reminders, not only to meet with me, meet with your financial advisor, talk to Mike, because you're going to get new tax benefits if you have children, new children who are born. So when you have these major life events, it's a good time to spend an hour with somebody sitting down and reviewing your estate planning documents. Yeah. And I think, you know, that obviously what we're talking about here is, is really kind of drilling home that the need for having this will and, and why it's so important you know, I think one thing that that probably uh, stops somebody from doing a will, whether it's it it's, should be true or not, but it, I think probably one pushback is they think maybe that it's it's extremely expensive to put together, and it's going to take a ton of time to put together. And so, can you give some feedback, just some ideas, like what are we looking at for a, a potential cost for something like this, and and really how much time would need to be put in? Now, obviously, we can get into very deep. We can add all these amendments and do all these additional documents. But let's just say for an average person, you know, how much of a time commitment do they really need to be able to get this done? Uh, well, the, I mean, the reality is it's it's however long you want to take. I mean, I've turned around wills in about 24 hours. People have come in and said, you know, it's Monday morning and they said, I'm leaving Wednesday for a trip for three weeks and I don't want to get on that plane without a will in place. So, you know, we can turn it around quickly. It really, if you have the plan and you know what you want to say and who's going to get your estate when you're gone, these documents can be turned around rather quickly. And I, I think your point is really well taken about people being concerned about the cost. 
And so the cost on estate plans can really range. You can do some online site for $49, but for $49, all you get is a mail merge document that they tell you to print out and you go figure out how to sign it. You can spend $20,000 on the estate plan with complex trusts and everything else. But the reality is if you need that, um, chances are you know that already and you've got an attorney to work with. But for the regular couple, a young couple who just, you know, had a kid, they own a house, uh, you know, the cost can be anywhere between $500 to $1,000 per person to have an estate plan drawn up. Um, obviously, I can't quote you fees for other attorneys. Um, but when you work with my office, the first thing we do is look at how complex your planning needs to be. And often it's going to be at least a little less complex than you think it has to be. Um, everyone comes in with grand notions of a very extensive estate plan, and we find out that we have a lot of assets that are going to be non-probate. So it's a straight, simple will, um, and that can be very inexpensive, and it also can be not time-consuming. Um, the only time constraint I usually run into is the time it takes my clients to have those important discussions with their loved ones, talking to their husband or their wife about the guardianship and the trustees of the young children. Um, but you know that's the thing that takes the most time, honestly, is you getting to the right point of deciding where your state wants to be. But if you come in and you tell the attorney, I know all this, I know just where I want to go, I mean, you can have it drafted up in a couple of hours. Excellent. So I think that that leaves a good testament of saying that um, no one really has an excuse not to do this. Um, I, I think it's a, a really inexpensive uh, item that, that can really save so much time and, and, and heartbreak for people. And it also is, it also doesn't need to take a lot of time. So uh, I, I think it's anybody that's, that's, that's in that position where they're not doing it. And let me be honest, I was that person. I've had so many people tell me, you need to put a will together. You have a kid now, you need to put a will together. Finally went and did it. But I hope that this episode uh, serves as a purpose to just kind of give you that motivation and say now is the time to do that. So, Andrew, I just want to thank you for coming on. This was uh, obviously a really informative area about the will side. Uh, again, this is part of a mini series that we're doing. So next week, we're going to be talking about the power of attorney and what type of healthcare documents that you have. So, uh, Andrew, thank you for uh, coming on to this episode. And uh, we'll be back next week with more estate planning items. Great. Thanks for having me, Mike.